0: This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Pro-America Report, great to be with you today. Thank you for tuning in. Hey, um, don't forget... Visit proamericareport.com. You know, I got a message recently from, uh, someone I didn't, hadn't heard from. I, I don't think I'd ever had an exchange with him. And he said, Hey, I tell you, I follow you every morning. I get that email from you. And I'm really, I'm pleased you do it. I'm grateful you do it. And I didn't really, um, I didn't know who he was, right? I didn't have a real sense of uh, of who he was. So that was very cool. So if you visit ProAmericaReport.com, you can uh, sign up there and you will uh, get a daily email every morning, 5 a.m. Pacific time, 8 a.m. East Coast time and everywhere in between. And you can also follow all these interviews. Great interview. Really fun interview yesterday with Eric Metaxas about his new book. You should check that out over there at ProAmericaReport.com. All right, Tom. Uh, and we've got some great interviews today. We'll be talking to some interesting folks. One, an author who sent me his book, a uh, fascinating book. I love authors, as you know. And his book is called Fool's Errand. And uh, it's fiction and uh, really good, really fun. And we'll talk about that. I love talking about er- encouraging authors. He is um, writes a lot of different um, murder mysteries. Interesting man. And then we'll also uh, spend some time today talking with a, a woman named Nicole Neely about education and how to defend our education Um, it's called parents defending education is her organization so we'll get to all that all right but before we get to that let's talk about what you need to know today and what you need to know today is we are under significant threat now let me tell you one of the great servants of this time of our republic will go down in history is james o'keefe and project veritas because they're fearless and what they're doing is not easy. They're taking on like they take on the big, big guns at Planned Parenthood, CNN, all these things. And they just don't stop. He's now got some videos of Facebook and, and, and a whistleblower at Facebook exposing some stuff that's gone on. We'll talk about it in a moment. But first of all, hats off to uh, our friend James O'Keefe for what he does. He's extraordinary at what he does. And he just keeps doing it. It's going on a decade or more. He just keeps plugging along. Project Veritas, check them out, check out all their body of work. They, they get silenced, they get blocked, they get put down by all kinds of the social media, and they just keep on trucking, keep on chugging along. So here's what they've done now. Project Veritas has videos of a Facebook whistleblower who basically explains that Facebook is managing through its algorithms sort of what is allowed to look and sound and be perceived as true and what's not. And that power is unbelievable. And the fact that it's coming right now, that this video is coming right now, is sort of providential, perfect timing, because our conversation... And I had a lengthy... I did a a town hall over on Sinclair Television last night. Uh, There were four of us and the host... And the topic was cancel culture. And everybody got to the certain point where they said, well, one of the things that we all have to do is stand up for the truth. And we have to be the ones that stand up for the truth. And when we stand up for the truth, we can get courage is contagious. That's true. And courage is a habit. That's true. And we've got to stand up. We can't self-censor. And I'm all for that. You've heard me talk about that. We have to do that. And we have to find the leaders among us that can show us the way. And we have to help people defray the cost of being truth tellers. You know, Andy No NGO, he wrote a book after his experience of being literally attacked and really very badly hurt, but they tried to cancel him. I bought his book just because I want to help uncancel people. We need to be standing for the people that are are standing up, right? So that's all true. We need a culture of not falling for the self-censorship. However, we should acknowledge the size and scope of the enemy, because as I've told you before, and the Project Veritas video exposes, big tech is able to shape what we see and frankly, what we don't see. You know, I'm reminded of an essay that the late Phyllis Schlafly wrote in the 1970s about the Salman Rushdie book, The Satanic Verses. I guess it was the 80s. It wasn't the 70s. That's too long ago. I'm thinking about it now. I got to look that up. But but her, her column was about the, the Satanic Verses by Salman Rushdie. I think that's right. And Salman Rushdie's book was pulled out of the big three at the time chain of bookstores. At the time, there were three bookstores, you know, Barnes and Noble. Was it Walden Books? I don't know the three of them, I can't think of the names now, but they, they, they were able to control 30 percent of the market for books in every mall and every strip mall or whatever. Right. And Phyllis's point was we should be appalled that there are corporations that are trying to silence our people. And she's right. And peop- And her argument was not government should regulate it. It was that we should care and we should be loud about it. All true. But now flash forward this far forward. Oh, and in the columns, she says, she references Phyllis Schlafly, she says something like, and these are the books we can see they took out because it's famous. What about the ones that never get placed? And that's where we are flashing forward all those way. For, I mean, Facebook is big. Twitter is big. Google is huge. Amazon is monstrous in terms of eclipsing the control over what we see. Google might be the most powerful, frankly, because of the dominance of its search engine. But Amazon is pretty dominant because of the marketplace. But my point is, the big tech... When they decide, for example, they will sign, you know, Simon and Schuster says no to Josh Hawley and his millions of dollars for his book and yes to Mike Pence. What's the difference? The difference is that Simon and Schuster got the signals from social media, which banned Josh Hawley from the big media, uh, uh, big media, which pulled Josh Hawley from big tech, which said, you know, don't don't let Josh Hawley prosper from the big government. All these people complaining, you know, the, the one six commission uh, wannabes, all that stuff. And Simon and Schuster said, we're in the business of making money. Pence seems to be unthreatening to them, to the powers that be. And my point here is the narrative machine now, big tech, big media, big money, has the ability not so much to self-censor. We may want to be fearless speakers of the truth. And Josh Hawley, after he gets silenced by Simon and Schuster because they're pressured by big media and big tech, He gets another bit. Regnery does his book. So he's got another voice. But we don't know about the people. How many people wish they could get their voice heard and are blocked from big tech or big media by their power to stop us from even seeing it? If you can control what I see, you can control what I know. And then you can control what I do. Don't tell me I'm wrong. It's so clear now. Some of it's neuroscience, some of it's brainwashing, but some of it's just good old-fashioned persuasion. You don't have to change my brain chemistry to get me to believe something if you can hold back everything else. On my team, on our team, the Phyllis Schlaffy Eagles team, uh, Gwen Kelly posts a lot of our social media stuff. And she says when she posts something about COVID, especially about vaccines, they will often drop a line at the end of the post that says, for more information on this, click here. And when you click on it, it's all the authoritative science sources. In other words, they're not going to trust us to have an opinion. They're going to steer us to who they say is right. When even if we can't trust them, the power of the narrative machine now It's actually threatening to override our ability to not self-censor. Now, that's a lot of background. I mean, a lot of negatives and all. Let me say it more positively. The narrative machine is able to block us from seeing things and block us from being heard. So even if you want to self-censor, you can't. And what Project Veritas showed authoritatively when you saw it, if you watch that video, the whistleblower is saying, we're shaping... He called it vaccine hesitancy. And if something has a vaccine hesitancy reading that's too high, they're going to do something about it. That's what they said. That's what they're doing. That's the power that we've just got a whistleblower to show us. What's the power we're not seeing? How much of the power we're not seeing is behind the curtain? And what is that doing to us? It's, it's a threat to our freedom of expression. That's true. But it's also at this point pretty clear, isn't it? It's a threat to our republic. How do we have a republic? I could go through a hundred examples of things that popped to my head. The fake polls for eight weeks before the election, the po- polls, which were fake, were pounding a message, changing people's minds and hearts. Anyway, that's a, that's a dumb, a dumb digression example. I apologize, but you get my point. All right. That's what's at stake it's a big deal hey encouragement encourage james o'keefe project veritas they are phenomenal and uh they're really special and uh, an american original american treasure james o'keefe um good stuff check it out all right we gotta take a break we'll be right back it's ed martin here in a pro america report be back in a moment Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. As you know, my listeners know, uh, Jeff, I love authors, and I love to have authors on, talk about the process and all. And uh, our next guest is Jeff Stevens. He is, well, he's, he uses this term a lot with people, prolific author. He's an author of many books and has a extraordinary uh, history of writing, like a lot of authors, and I'll ask him about this. He's also a lawyer, trained as a lawyer, and his newest book is called Rogue Mission, and uh, out available everywhere you get books. So first of all let me say uh welcome jeff stevens how are you sir
0: i'm great thank you and actually my latest book is fool's errand so oh i apologize (laughs) i apologize yeah yeah yeah, i'm looking at they didn't give you the right information but (laughs) yeah rogue mission is terrific that's a spy novel uh fool's errand is more a father-son thing that we're hoping does big for father's day it's an international treasure hunt and they're both fun get them both
1: <laughs> well uh, well and I it's not your guys folks that uh, you're you're because they gave me the right one in fact they were nice enough to give me a copy of it and as I opened up your file that's what drew me off it was uh, I had been looking back at your stuff so you're you're of course you're right it's your book but fools errand and I did I'm about halfway through it and it is really uh, a great well timed as you say for Father's Day and for Father's Son or you know kind of uh, that kind of thriller but before we get to the book um you, how come so many people that are lawyers end up authors? I mean, the famous ones, you know, like Grisham, right, who's had a sure. big success. But why is that? Why, why do you David think that Baldacci,
0: is? Baldacci, by the way. A lot of people don't know that yeah. David Baldacci was a lawyer. They don't talk yep, about yep. that as much as they do with Grisham, but you know, I think I think part of it is that we deal with words so much. I know that's obvious, but you know, if you're a lawyer, you're constantly writing. You're writing briefs. You're writing letters. You're writing, you're writing uh, summaries. You're writing memoranda, and you know, it's just a natural progression. I think, but I've always written, so for me, that it just comes naturally.
1: Hmm. we're talking with jeff stevens and and so this um back again for a second you've written a lot of books and a number of them are set in places where you visited obviously that's something sure. um, so travel is a, travel was a big thing and i think i think on the on the series um one of them was set like in in on the italian the like, amalfi coast or one of those cities right that i was reading up on your stuff well how does how did you handle because you probably can travel because you're a big successful author during the covid thing how did you handle being sort of Locked down? Where were you locked down? Did you I tell lose you your what, mind because you wanted fever to travel like
0: everybody else? I got cabin, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry for interrupting. I got cabin fever, like everybody else, because I love to travel. And you're right one of, one of my books, the the um, uh, Targets of Deception, the first in my in my spy series. Right, it took place. Uh, the climactic scenes take place in Portofino, Italy. Like you say, it's on the Italian Riviera, right there. And right. it was just one of those places where I was, and it was magical. And I thought. One of these days, I've got to write this into a book somewhere. And so, uh-huh. so one of the reasons for Fool's errand by the way, it's funny you should mention that, but one of the reasons for Fool's errand that I went away from the spy novels during the pandemic, I said I really wanted to take a book that was more family-oriented because that yeah. was a Big family time this year, the people we saw and the people we couldn't see. but I also wanted to take people around the world. so it takes place in New York, it takes place in in Las Vegas, it gets into the south of France and in Paris. and so it, you know a little fun for people to read that way. I mean otherwise, I don't want to be housebound when I'm writing.
1: Right, we're talking with uh, Jeff Stevens, and the book he's talking about is Fools Errand, which is available everywhere you get books, all over the place. They were sent nice enough to send me a copy ahead of time, which is how, how I got halfway through it. And and let me let me remind our listeners, we were just talking though about uh, some of his other books. There's a main character, four or five books with a, a CIA agent named Jordan Sandor, who is the sort of main character. He gets yeah, he gets out of the out of the uh, agency and does this. Now uh, here's a question. I think I read, I must have read one of those books too. I've, I, it, since I thought you were. Coming on, I've gone back and dug into this because I love these kind of writers. But where'd you get the name Jordan Sandor? When I r- throw okay, that, I thought so it the, stuck in my head. This, I yeah, tell, tell me. Now.
0: I had a friend years yeah. ago, and I found out by accident he was a corporate guy in New York City. I found out he was a CIA uh-huh. agent and he was really an agent. Oh. I mean, he wasn't like a desk jockey. He was a true around the world agent. And so that name is sort of like a play on his name. And he's now not oh. with us anymore, but um he was he was an American hero. He was a Vietnam veteran. Uh he got pretty banged up there and then he did a lot of international work and I can't say his name, but even though he's gone, <laughs> you just, you just don't do that, but it was it's a play on that name. That's where he came up with it.
1: Okay. Um so all right, now but now to Fool's Errand. So Fool's Erin, the premise it was really it's an interesting one and I I to ask you about that is uh a a a man, a man, I guess he's an adult by now, finds a letter from his father from uh long ago and it sets him off on this. Now is that a device you saw somewhere else, or heard somewhere else, or found somewhere else? You know, there's a great writer I love, Laurie King, who writes mysteries. Who the mm-hmm. premise of her first book on her Sherlock Holmes books was that someone delivered a case to her house and it had a bunch of letters in it. I think that's right. But did you? H- how did you come up with that? Because it works really well in this book, Fool's Aaron. I
0: didn't read that, and and I, I will tell you exactly how I came <laughs> up with this. You ever have those discussions where you're sitting around having a drink and you say, you know, I miss these people or that people. If you could spend the a day with someone from the past yeah. who would it be and some people say Jesus Christ some people say Winston right. Churchill some people but but most people say gosh if I could have one more day with my dad if I could have one more day with my mom and so it got me to thinking wouldn't it be interesting if this young man who's the narrator of the story of, of Fool's Errant finds a letter mm-hmm. that his father left just before he died six years before so it's sort of like the father was talking to him from beyond the grave and telling him about this cash of stolen money and that he wants his son to find it, but he can't give him too many clues because if someone else finds the letter, then that's that. And so, right. spoiler alert is not necessary because this is disclosed right on the first page of the book. And it's just the whole <laughs> right. question is: Will this young man? Will he embark on this journey? Because his dad was always looking for the brass ring, and he was kind of a near duell. Kind of character guy and, and all this. And of course, the name of the book is Fool's Errand, so we know what he does. He doesn't put the letter back in the envelope. He decides, I better go do something about this. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah, there's that's intrigue, right. <laughs> there's danger, there's romance, and there are a lot of surprises.
1: We're talking with Jeff Stevens, and the best place to look at all of the different stuff he's doing, has done, is JeffreyStevens.com. That's Jeffrey, E-Y, Stevens, E-N-S, Stevens, JeffreyStevens.com. You can check it. I'll put it up on social media, too. Um, Back to Fool's Errand, uh, the the uh, book it's just out about four or five months ago uh, came out. Um, do you, how do you, how do you, you've now been writing books for 35 years? I mean, it said, by the way, my father went to Fordham, my father went to Fordham Law School probably five years Wait. before you did. I don't think you would have crossed over yet yeah we grew, we grew up out in jersey and and uh, and he went to oh, fordham wow. law school so which is your alma mater for law school but um but you've been writing for 35 40 years people read differently right? I mean, I know yeah. writers write for what they, they're trying to get a message. And for you, you've written the CIA agents series. This one is more about a relationship and probably at your, at your uh, both age and skill level, you're writing about something you want to communicate, but people read differently well, yeah. and not much. I was talking about Kindle. I'm talking about uh length and plot and all. How, how do you, you know, and they most, they mostly want to read in 10 minute bursts. So how, how do you adjust to getting your message across?
0: Well, that's that's such a brilliant observation it really is because that's why james patterson say what anybody wants to say about him that's why he does what he does i mean he has two and three page chapters because people just yeah. want to go through like rap 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 and that's what they want to do and so chapters are shortened descriptions are shortened books are, are not as long i mean there are books that we mm-hmm. read in school as kids and you know you know look homeward <laughs> angel by thomas wolf who the heck would ever read that anymore yeah. I, you know it's just it's right. not happening they want to read catcher in the rye you know 250 pages and done if you're going to read a classic. So, yes, you really have to be aware of who's – you write for yourself, and everyone says that that's all great, but you have to be aware of who your public is, and you're right on the money about that. People read differently now.
1: Yeah. Do you find that? Uh, so, uh, do you find, do you get, how much feedback do you get? Now, the other thing about this is when you write a book in 1970s and you write a really good book, you finish it, it sells a bunch of copies, you would get letters in the mail, I'm sure, and they would send them to you either at P.O. Box or at the publisher. Now, they're just as likely to go on your website and within an hour of reading your book, go put in a contact and comment you or comment on the blog. What, how that, does that change the feedback? How does, how does the feedback change?
0: I, I mean, you're right. It's much faster. I mean, I get emails and then People review it on Amazon. It's a lot of it is, is just reviews on Amazon. You know, they just say, "Hey, this is right. a five-star book. You've got to read it." And I say, "Thank you very much." And sometimes they contact me directly. Sometimes they write and say, "How come you didn't write another Jordan Sandor spy thriller? Why'd you write this book?" And I'll even take the time <laughs> right. to write back and explain. I just want to do something a little different during the pandemic. But we're going back to the spy thrillers this year. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not giving that up. <laughs> so it's you know, but it is. It's it's a different time. It's a different world. It's. Really really is in the reading business Uh, publishing is tough and and amazon is the 800 pound gorilla i mean mom and pop shop i mean whenever i tell people go look for fool's errand if you can go to your independent bookstore because they need your help and they may have to order it for you and i know it's a little bit of a pain but on the other hand you go on amazon the book's always on sale and you just go and the next day it gets delivered and no fuss no muss and it's just a different Mm -hmm. different time
1: yeah, we're again, we're talking with uh, Jeff Stevens, Jeffrey dot com and uh, referring again to his uh, his uh, spy series, uh, uh, the CIA, retired CIA agent Jordan Sandor. And there's a series of books. So, one I'm looking at right now is Rogue Mission, which is the more recent. But uh, Jeff, real quick. And I, I want I want to go to the last. I want to finish on the book. And I just got a few minutes on, on the new book, Fool's Errand. Uh, but yeah. I, I, Everybody, I see this and I see, oh man, these are real good thrillers. And I read the Jordan Sandor, I think it was the one set in Portofino anyway. So, and I'm like, wow, the guy's got it, he's got movement, it's moving. And then you say, why isn't that a movie? And, and I, so why isn't, how do you get, how come not every good book is a movie? I know it's a crazy thing to say, but you must have, you must think, wouldn't it be great to make a movie or series out of this character?
0: I hate to say it, but they did option, they optioned the Sandor series. Oh for movies, and the <laughs> pandemic hit. And so I don't know now. Oh. The the, uh, the option ran out, but I'm certainly happy to have somebody go make it a movie. I'd love Fool's errand to be a movie because I think it, it lends itself to that because of the scenery yeah. and, and just the way it's paced. But, um, yeah, you're right. And, yeah, and huh. we really do need some good movies because some of the stuff that's out yeah. now not so good. And <laughs> we junk, watched yeah. a lot of Are... things, didn't we, during the pandemic?
1: <laughs> yeah, we sure did. Yeah. All right. Last question. I just got about a minute. Um, because it's a father son story, and we're talking about Fool's Aaron with Jeff Stevens. And, and, um, it's about a, a, a man, his, a letter from his father. He goes on this thing. Is any of this uh, autobiographical? Did you have a relationship with your father or someone in your life that sort of set you off? Maybe not the details of the sort of ne'er do well or whatever, but the, Dynamic is that where you're writing out of?
0: Yeah, the simple answer is yes. My dad died young, just like the character in the book, and we had a really great relationship. And he did. Send you can me feel off it. You can feel it. That, yeah, that were crazy. yeah,
1: yeah. You can anyway, feel it in the writing, both, in my mind. Said, you, and yeah. you're so nice to
0: bring this up. But my website, JeffreyStevens.com. All this information is there. Stevens is with a PH in it, not a V, by the way. P H. And Good. you can yep. find stuff there. You can find stuff on Amazon support your local bookstores and let's get america back on track how about that
1: yeah sounds good all right hey jeff stevens thank you thanks for writing it thanks for taking the time again the book is fool's errand uh jeff stevens.com i'll put it all up on social media we'll have you back on again thank you sir
0: thank you so much
1: all right have a great day we'll be right back everybody ed martin here on a pro america report oh oh oh, thank you thanks very much all right we'll be right back ed martin here on a pro america report back in a moment Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. You've heard me talk about it over and over again. One of the most important issues is education, especially how parents can get control of their education. So I'm really grateful to welcome And By the way, you can go to Parents Defending Education is the website, which is defendinged.org, defendinged.org. Nicole Neely is the president and founder of this organization and uh, is joining us now. And I'll just read to you a little bit on defend- Parents Defending Education, national grassroots organization working to reclaim our schools schools from activists imposing harmful agendas it goes on a little bit more first of all welcome nicole thank you for joining us thank you for having me first question i have is is the onslaught of people trying to mess with our schools and the and the curriculum and our kids is it has it accelerated or are we just noticing it finally you know it it, has this been it's been going on for decades but is it accelerated or we suddenly have eyes on it or the pandemic made us look at it what how do we suddenly see it all
2: Yeah, I think you're right. I think if we can say there's a silver lining to the pandemic, it's that suddenly a lot of parents were forced to, you know, really figure out what was going on in their children's school because classrooms were suddenly in living rooms. And so I think as you I think you're right, this has been taking place for many years. It was just in our face. However, I do think that last summer things accelerated really quickly after uh, in the wake of the George Floyd incident. I mean, you know, I think about that saying that, you know, never let a crisis go to waste. Um, and I think that's mm-hmm. what a lot of activists did. They said this is an opportunity to really kick this into hyperdrive. And they did.
1: It's uh, again, we're talking with nicole neely, the organization is de, is the uh the de parents defending education defending ed dot org i'll put it all up on social media um here's a funny question i shouldn't ask you at the beginning. I should pick your brain more, but i I have too much uh a d h d undiagnosed and all to not just go right to it why aren't why isn't every parent up in arms i mean why aren't we like why isn't there riots of, of parents because what we're seeing is so bad, and it feels to me nicole like a lot of parents are saying. Just get my kids back in school and I'll leave you alone.
2: You know what? I think a lot of people are absolutely terrified right now, right? Because we see the people who stand up, who speak out. They're called racist, sexist, homophobic, Mm. xenophobic, right? Like all of the things. Um, And and it's done intentionally, right? It's supposed to chill us and terrify us. Um, And so to me, really, the interesting story is in the face of this, people and parents are still standing up saying, you know what? I don't care. I'm mad as heck. I'm not going to take it. How dare you do this to my child or to children in our community with our tax dollars in our name Enough.
1: Yeah, I think you're right, by the way. Again, this is why it's so important for you to be on. It's not just a talk show host on a radio show or even activists. It's uh, it's parents who are you know defending the education and getting and the, and the, the, the training we have to do is to help each other realize you can't stay quiet. It's almost like you have to realize right. that safety is in numbers. Um, what's the most progress you're seeing? Is it school boards listening? Is it school boards getting, uh, rolled, you know, getting some new members in? Where, where's the, what's the trend lines you're seeing?
2: think, you know, it's, it's because there's no one reason for it. I think there's no one silver bullet. So we've seen a lot of, yeah, as you said, trend lines that are really interesting. Um, we've seen a renewed interest from people in get, figuring out what's going on with their school board. People starting to show up at those meetings, read those school board members who have greenlit a lot of these evil toxic policies, the riot acts, voting them out, um, recalling members of the school board who have shoved this through against parent opposition. Um, that, to me, has been really exciting. Do um, We have on our map, on our website, uh, about a 100, you know, slightly more parent groups that have sprung up just in the past year or two specifically to address political indoctrination in schools. I mean, that, to me, is fascinating. Not masking, not school reopening, not school choice, specifically political indoctrination in schools. Um, and so people are learning yep. how to engage on this, and they're pursuing it. Um, you know, a lot of these school boards, people show up and they start asking questions. Are you teaching critical race theory? And the district's... They say no, you know, because the terms are changing now. They realize the term critical race theory is toxic. So they'll say we're doing culturally responsive learning. We're doing social emotional learning. And parents are getting smart and they're reading through the lines and they're chasing it on there and they're not taking no for an answer. They say, you're not telling me the truth. Let's keep going. They're filing Freedom of Information Act requests. You know, they're running for school board themselves to, to replace some of these bad actors. And so I think there's a lot of momentum right now and a lot of enthusiasm. And so to us, you know, the challenge is how do we keep the pressure up without burning out our activists? Because this is, you know, this is a marathon and we need to win this battle. You know, just because we defeat one bad actor or one bad agenda doesn't mean that the bad guys are going away. They'll regroup. And so we always have to be ready.
1: We're talking again with uh, Nicole Neely, and she her organization is defending. Excuse me, Parents Defending Education. It's defendinged.org. dot org. The map she referred to is very cool, and I'm honed in right now down in Southern California, where the show originates. Uh, where and you're tracking incidents uh, of school boards uh, saying either saying or doing something about these issues. Um, again, I want to say ask you again because I I already don't remember the answer well enough. But is the is the conduct well? I, I'm, I'm. I'll stop. Um, remember five years ago when Common Core was suddenly being opposed by parents, they changed the name and they started saying, "Well, we won't do Common Core. Oh, well, we got another idea here. We'll call it this." And I forget what they were calling it. And they changed the name. And and over time, a lot of parents got distracted and moved on. So as you're saying, critical race theory. By now, critical race theory, it's toxic. But but they're not stopping teaching 1619 principles, right? They 1619 project also toxic. But they're still happy. to 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 teach the principles and i guess i want to ask you i feel like the number one enemy of the american success particularly for black people is the school teachers unions i just feel like they are really really i'll say it evil and what they do is really bad for america what i don't you don't have to go that far but it it feels like they just (laughs) they adjust they adjust the names they take all the money billions of dollars for the COVID stuff and they're still doing this junk
2: no, you're absolutely right. Um, I saw some slides from a National Education Association meeting from a few years ago. I think it was 2019. And there are different resolutions that they vote on every year. You know, should we adopt this? Should we not adopt this? One of the ones voted down was we should focus our efforts on student educational excellence. That was rejected. One <laughs> that was approved was we will, we will uplift and promote the messages of Robin D'Angelo's white fragility. So that is where the teachers' yeah. unions are. I mean, let's think about, you know, last summer. The Los Angeles Teachers Union, as part of their laundry list of demand to return to school in person, was Medicare for all and a moratorium on charter schools in the state of California. This is not about our children. This is a money grab and a yeah. power grab.
1: Yeah. All right. Unfortunately, Nicole, I got to run. So Nicole Neely, the website again is uh, defending uh, DefendingEd.org and also on social media at DefendingEd on Twitter. I'll put it all up on social media. We'll have you back on again. I think people need to go to your website, sign up for the emails and pay attention. Thank you, Nicole, for being out there. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right, everybody. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment.
0: This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin.
1: After all that time we waited, President Biden's first press conference was a smashing success. He managed to go the entire time without deviating from his scripted responses, without taking any hard questions, or even without tripping over any stairs. In a less-than-shocking case of good timing, it was only after the press conference that we learned the Biden administration had secret plans to impose standards for a vaccine passport system. Biden wants to use these passports to regulate public access to restaurants, airplanes, sports arenas, schools, theaters, and anywhere else groups of people traditionally gather. Those lacking such a passport could be excluded. This would be a shocking infringement on the ordinary liberty that Americans take for granted. Passports should only be for entry into a country, not to restrict movement within our United States. Our courts have traditionally held there to be an implied freedom of movement, granting citizens the right to move about freely within the United States. This right has only been restricted in narrow circumstances by law, such as when confining criminals. However, a vaccine passport system could effectively place large segments of the population under a form of house arrest if they refuse to get vaccinated. Five officials within the Biden administration have confirmed the desire for a vaccine passport scheme using smartphones to implement it. Access to airports or our favorite restaurant could be blocked based on failure to show a personal barcode to confirm vaccination. This sort of movement restriction is reminiscent of totalitarian nations like the communist East Germany, not of freedom-loving nations like our United States. Nonetheless, Biden's staff is investigating how to ensure that the passport will be so widely used that there will be no way around it. At their core, vaccine passports for domestic travel are totally un-American. If anyone wants to get the vaccine, wear a mask, or take any other reasonable precaution, far be it for me or you to stop them from doing so. However, I cannot and will not abide by any scheme of our federal government to coerce me to put a drug into my body without my consent.
0: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. In 2016, the conservative movement lost one of our strongest leaders, but Mrs. Schlafly's work and her voice continue through this radio program, our work in Washington, and the influence you have in your own community. Be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. We encourage you to bookmark phyllisschlafly.com and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. Hey, let's wrap, thing up, wrap things up today. And don't please be reminded, proamericareport.com. But let's wrap things up. Let me tell you and remind you that um, the place to go is proamericareport.com. You'll see all the links to these interviews, all the things we're up to. Please visit proamericareport.com. Stay up on everything uh, and get caught up. All right. I do want to wrap up, though. I, I am uh, uh, sometime on Wednesday, I don't know what time, late afternoon perhaps, I'll be doing a um, call with some folks that are on the ground doing uh, some of the important work of checking on the elections. And if you watch the mainstream media, the fake news, the big tech, big media, they will say things like, oh, the audits are, you know, based on election lies. Well, as someone said on another channel, maybe they're lies, but maybe they're just concerns. And isn't an audit the job of an audit to check on what happened? Isn't that generally what audits are for? So why not have audits? They exist in the system. They exist in American life. You can have an audit of your business. You can have an audit of your personal finances. You can have an audit of an election. You can have an audit of lots of things. Audit is a word kind of that's It's value neutral, isn't it? It's not a bad audit or a good audit. I mean, it could be bad. It could be good, but it, we don't know until we do it. Or maybe we do if someone says, oh, that's a bad audit. It's been done by, you know, uh, in the dark. Uh, it's being done improperly. I do think that early on, by the way, after the election, we were told there's audits going on when there were really what they were doing was recounts. A- a- if you run elections, as I have, you know that a recount is just counting the ballots again. That's not the same as an audit. An audit means you're going and checking. Someone said you got 20. So here's, an, here's a recount of a, of a, of a here's a, re- the difference between a recount and an audit. A recount, someone comes in and says, I won by 10 votes. My opponent wants a recount, mandatory recount. We recount the votes, run the systems, add up the numbers, see what they get. An audit is, okay, th- this, this machine says you got 28 votes. Are there 28 ballots attached this machine said that there was 172 absentee ballots where are those absentee ballots and you compare them and you sort of check the system in fact in in uh, business you will sometimes get a business that doesn't do an annual full audit they will sometimes call it an audit but they basically you give your uh, paperwork to a to an accountant and they and you say does this add up and they say yeah that adds up and you'll say okay good that you check my math Whereas if you give them all the sources, here's my bank accounts, here's the statements, incoming, outgoing, here's the payments and all, that's a full audit. Anyway, what we're seeing in Georgia is now we're getting to the bottom of things. We have a situation where the secretary of state in Georgia, not only did he sign a consent decree with Stacey Abrams that gave the Democrats a lot of the types of rule changes that they wanted, we're talking about in the run up to the 2020 election, which was a disaster. It looks like he even allowed millions, I don't know, five million dollars to come into Georgia from the Zuckerberg group, you know, the Facebook founder group to try to help the election, to help the election, fortify the election, as the Democrats said, they're just going to fortify the election. Looks like that's what happened. So we got to wonder how well this was done. Well, a Fulton County judge has just said, hey, give them all the absentee ballots. Let's see what we've got. It's one hundred and forty seven thousand ballots. Remember, the election was close, closer than that, but close. It was actually close for seating a senator, by the way. If one of the senators, I forget which one of them, had just had a few thousand more, maybe David Perdue, he would have avoided a runoff. And the runoff is what ended up costing him. But be that as it may, we are where we are. And, and the point here is we're going to get to the bottom of this stuff. You realize that, right? No matter how hard the left tries and the mainstream media and the rhinos try to distract us, we're going to get to the bottom of it. There are. 80 million, somewhere between 74, which is the official number, and maybe 90 million Americans who voted for Trump. There's too many energetic people that believe that they want to get to the bottom of it. And they frankly have the ability in this day and age to do more effort, to take more efforts. Well, not to do more efforts, to to be more effective. Because of the presence of the internet and social media and travel and all, you get people that are retired individuals that want to go participate in an audit, that want to go be a part of checking on things. So we're going to get to the bottom of it. It may take a year, two years, five years. We're going to get to the bottom of it. And you know, President Trump in his new Twitter outlet, it's not exactly Twitter, it's, um, it's Trump's kind of website that is tweetable. He, it's called his, uh, Donald J. Trump's desk. And you go there and he has a, he had early on Tuesday, about 10 in the morning. He said, a new Ipsos Reuters poll, this is a tweet from Trump, beliefs among Republicans, that's the call, that's the title of it, shows that 53% believe Donald Trump is the true president. And the 2020 election was tainted 56% of Republicans. 61% say the election was stolen or rigged. That's a lot of people that think the system is broken. Now, could you do a poll? I got to go back and look for it. If there was a poll after the 2016 election with the Democrats, with Hillary saying Russia, 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 would they be able, would they get numbers like that? They probably would. We're probably in a situation where it's going to go back and forth. But the fact is, we're going to get to the bottom of this. And if it wasn't stolen, so be it. We'll find out. But we're not going to take their word for us and tell us to go away. That's not going to happen. That's not happening in this country right now. And one of the things that's going to happen is the places where the bad actors were, eventually, they're going to be out of office. And they're either going to have to have covered... Roethlisberger's either going to have to cover it up on his way out the door, or it's going to be exposed. Maybe while he's gone, when, after he's gone. Maybe. Maybe. But I have to tell you, I keep telling my friends and, and, and people that listen, if you care about this issue, you have to expose the issue and directionally get something done you have to say the system seemed unfair it didn't seem right it didn't seem clean it didn't seem to work and you have to direct the energy towards something meaning towards real reform towards real changes and i'll tell you what i really want to see i want to see (coughs) pardon me i want to see someone uh a leader calling for a single election day again one day of election you can do an absentee ballot if you're in the military or if you're in some extra real serious circumstance otherwise you got to come vote we got to have a system where everybody goes to the polls why not why not is it too much to ask i don't think so we ask people to do other things you have to go to the dmv to get your license you can't do it by mail you have to go to the dmv to get your uh, driver's test i mean so we can do this it's not unreasonable and we got to think of things like that. All right, I got to run everybody. Thank you as always to our great technical director Noah, as well as Joanna for booking our guests. Thank you for listening. Don't forget Don't forget visit proamericareport.com. proamericareport.com to find out more and I'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then.
0: This is the Pro America Report on the answer, San Diego.